The Music Business Worldwide podcast is supported by Volley Music, a leading financial management platform for the music industry. Volley enables you to track expenses, approve invoices, and make payments 24-7, 365 days a year. For your free trial, head to volleymusic.com. That's V-O-L-Y music.com. Hello and welcome to the Music Business Worldwide podcast supported by Volley Music, which was recently renamed Volley Entertainment. My name is Tim Ingham, the founder of Music Business Worldwide, and on this podcast I'm joined by Anthony Davenport, the CEO and founder of New York headquartered Regal Credit Management. Regal Credit helps high-profile and high-net-worth individuals, obviously enough, with their credits, both in terms of building it and protecting it. Regal Credit, which was recently recently named on the Inc. 5000 list of companies in the US, counts many clients from across the music business. That's all well and good. But the particular reason I wanted to get Anthony on this podcast was to discuss a tool of Regal's called CyberSweep. CyberSweep is a data removal service that either suppresses or outright deletes personal information from across the internet, whether that information is on the dark web or on more legitimate sites. According to Anthony, CyberSweep has been used by very high-profile figures in the music business, including many superstar artists, who are looking to protect themselves both from fraudulent online activity and from stalking from their fans. On this podcast, Anthony discusses why he believes such activity is becoming a growing societal problem, and we also get time to dig into his own interesting origin story that led to the birth of Regal Credit following the economic crash in 2008. Anthony Davenport, welcome to the MBW podcast. You and I were speaking, I think, earlier this summer, and we were talking about Regal Credit and the achievements of that company that you've built. But what really fascinated me and what alerted me to say, I've got to get you to talk about this on a podcast, is this CyberSweep product. So obviously, I've done an intro to this podcast. People sort of know what CyberSweep is. But in your own words, can you just explain what it is and what it does? Yeah, thanks, Tim. It's so great to be here. And it's always great to be able to rap with you, chat with you about what's going on in music. So essentially, CyberSweep is the process of removing someone's personal information from the web. So this includes things like phone numbers, email addresses, home addresses, even if they're put in a trust, blurring out their homes on Google Maps, Apple Maps, making sure that stalkers, rabid fans, thieves and whatnot can't find these people and stalk, harass, extort them, etc. So it's a whole mixture of different things, including dark web monitoring to keep them safe. But that's it in a nutshell. I should point out that Regal Credit has many high profile confidential clients in the music industry, both on the artist and performer side and on the business side. But I'm interested to know, you know, off the back of that, how did CyberSweep come about? Were you getting this request from clients? Was it clients speaking to you saying, I've got a problem? Like, what's the origin story of CyberSweep? Yeah, actually, our two biggest services came about just from people knocking on our door saying, We have a problem. Can you solve it? And with CyberSweep, what happened is there's a multifamily office that works with huge mega stars like Rihanna and Katie Holmes and other people like that that said, Hey, we have a billionaire client who's getting calls on her cell phone saying, hey, I'm down and out. I know you have money. Give me money. So then the woman was blocked. But then her assistant 
started getting phone calls saying, hey, this woman promised me money. Give me money. I need money. She then blocked her as well. So then this woman showed up at their office, which no one really knew where their office was, but she showed up and just said, hi, I'm here. I need to get money. So obviously police report was filed. The multifamily office then rang me up and said, hey, listen, this happened. Can we figure out like how this woman got access to all this information? Like this is not information that we want out there. So I dug into it and I said, yeah, actually, this woman bought a report from whitepages.com for $12. And in it contains all the sort of information down to what cars are registered in her name, planes, boats, et cetera, whether she's had any driving license infractions, speeding tickets, whatever. I mean, it's a treasure trove of data. And here, this report's about 100 pages in length. And then they said, well, how do we get it removed? And I said, yeah, I looked into it. And there were, there's a couple companies that do this sort of thing, but they remove it from like 30 websites. But we found out that you can actually get this information from over 200 websites at the time. Now we've since figured out it's more than 400 websites. So that was basically the origin of it because they said, well, 30 websites, not enough. Can you get them removed from the rest and figure out what else we can do to protect her and our, the rest of our clients? And how much of this is obviously that's a huge problem if you're a billionaire and you need that level of protection. But actually, as you sort of slide down the commercial scale, net worth scale, like how much of a problem is this just becoming generally for anyone that's done reasonably well in life, uh, particularly in, in the music industry? Like how much of an issue has this become? And I guess wrapped up in this question is the growth of CyberSweep and, and how many clients you adding to it? Because I guess if you're adding clients then that proves that there's a need. Yeah, the service has grown about 900% over the last three years. It seems that that COVID really brought out all the nut jobs, all the stalkers, all the rabid fans. They were already loose cannons, and then they became extra loose. So they started stalking and harassing everyone from Taylor Swift to Ariana Grande to Eminem and Drake. And I mean, it just, they really started going after a lot of their favorite celebrities. But we've also found that there are people that are not quite household names. So this is also a great way to steal someone's identity and get access to their finances and their bank accounts and things like that. Because for 11 bucks legally, they can get access to all of this information that's going to help them break into the people's accounts and steal their money. So we see people that are just very wealthy business owners or people that are married to celebrities, or people that have written successful screenplays, it really triples down to anybody who has a Wikipedia page or that there's some sort of public information on and that people know they have money. I was very interested to see that you have the sophistication and the technology to move into the dark web and try and remove information from the dark web. I mean, there's been stories in the music industry about ransomware before. For example, I think the famous attorney and lawyer, Alan Grubman, had a, a ransomware threat saying we've got lots of incriminating emails or whatever they were accusing, which soon went away and asking for a bounty, effectively asking for an amount of money. How have you observed that evolving? And is that kind of story becoming more commonplace? It's becoming extremely more commonplace because the biggest issue you have to deal with is jurisdictions. So imagine you're in New York. You can see someone stealing your money. They grab it out of your pockets. 
And then they go across the river to New Jersey and they're standing on the shore waving to you saying, I've stolen all your information. Here I am. Now, if you're in New York, you're supposed to go to the local police precinct to your house, wherever that may be. So you'd have to go to, I don't know, Brooklyn or whatever, file a police report and say, I know who did it. They're standing on the edge of New Jersey waving at us. And yet the people in New York don't really have jurisdiction to go after people in New Jersey. So if that's a problem, imagine if it's China or if it's Russia or if it's North Korea or if it's any one of these countries that we don't play along with, that's a jurisdictional nightmare by itself. So it's really what is the harm in these people going after this and making it big business to try to obtain as much information on people and either harass their companies, do ransomware for them, or it's a really big issue with influencers because they rely upon social media to make their money. And someone can very easily figure out how to log into their information and block them out of it and say, you can't make any money until you pay me them, you know, this ransom. So it's going to continue to proliferate because there's no one that can really go after this crime. Let me ask you a bit about Regal Credit, and particularly where you've seen growth and success in the music industry. And and one of the things I believe we talked about before was the kind of transatlantic question. You've got a US artist who wants to draw some credit in a different country, for example. Um, Am I right in thinking that that's somewhere where you've seen you could be useful and you've seen growth in the business? We have, because originally I started this when I was a banker. I worked at big institutions like Bank of America and Wells Fargo. I'm now atoning for my sins, Tim. So I'm not a banker anymore. I'm on the good guy's side. But one of the biggest issues I saw operating in New York was that people would come and say, I've got millions of dollars in the bank, but I can't even get a Macy's credit card. How on earth am I ever going to get a mortgage? So I figured out a process of how to build up their credit really so that I could do more mortgages. But one day it hit me that that's a business unto itself. And then a few years in, as we started to work with high profile, high net worth, particularly musicians, we saw that they had the same issue. They're like, hey, we're a K-pop band. We're coming over to do a tour of America. It's really hard to do that on a Korean debit card. We would really like an Amex. So we basically use that tool to build up their credit so that they can hit the ground running and their business managers and tour managers and all that would have some sort of method of being able to pay for blocks of hotel rooms and flights and all that sort of stuff without daily limit of $3,000 or whatever the case is. So that's allowed us to work with a lot of bands. And it seems like there's another British invasion coming with all the musicians coming over to the States to tour as well. Sure. Those are words to cheer up the UK music industry, my friend. We like our exports. (laughs) Success of Regal Credit is, is there for everyone to see, included in the Inc. 5000 recently. If you're comfortable talking about this, this is just something we talked about when we met and we got into CyberSweep and everything. Yes, you were a banker before this, but there's a bit of a personal story attached to the launch of Regal Credit and the reset of your life. And I'd like to, as I say, if you're comfortable discussing that really, you know, the life-changing episode that meant that you went on a very different path. Yeah, it's actually the best failure that ever could have possibly happened to me. So As you mentioned, I was a banker, and that was a great thing to be in the early 2000s. It was a horrible thing to be when the economy started crashing in 2008, anchored primarily around the real estate market. 
So I went from making a lot of money to having no money. And I was the type of person that had an immaculate credit score. I had plenty of money saved up in the bank account, was very frugal. And I started reading retirement magazines when I was 22. 20, who does that? So I had a lot of my financial ducks in a row, but my industry evaporated virtually overnight. And we lived on our savings for a bit over a year. And then one day when my wife was eight months pregnant with our first son, I walked up to her and said, listen, I've met with an attorney. We have no choice but to file bankruptcy. And that was the most painful moment of my life to listen to her cry and to know that I I couldn't do anything about it. But a few weeks later, my mother-in-law came to visit as we were packing up from our nice luxury deluxe apartment in the sky and moving into a roach and mouse infested apartment down the street. She said, what is your plan? You know, how are you going to provide for your family? And I told her, this is something that's going to impact nearly everyone that you know. And I'm just in the front wave of it. So my idea is I'm going to take this knowledge of credit and help other people that are going to go through this similar situation. So I launched Regal Credit three months after our bankruptcy was discharged in 2010. And we took off like a rocket because there were so many people who needed help building their credit for the first time, rebuilding their credit after they took a few knocks during the recession. And that's my greatest failure. And I guess that fuels motivation ever since. You know, people often use analogies about climbing up a mountain when you start a business and this idea that you climb and you climb and you climb and you climb and then you think I can't do it or whatever. And you look down and you're like, oh, well, it's too far to drop now. I may as well keep going. And there's some truth in those kind of analogies. The sort of, I guess not the fear of failure, but remembering what it felt like to be on the floor, I guess. That must be a constant motivation. Is it still a constant motivation now you've reached this level of success with the company? Every single day. And it keeps me humble because my wife also keeps me humble too. She's the first one to say, you did a really good job on that TV show, but your posture wasn't very good. So that will also keep me humble. But every single day, you know what it was like to be at the actual bottom when you have to sit in front of a trustee and justify how you lost everything and how you made your decisions. Nothing will ever make you forget that. And it's something that as soon as I open my eyes in the morning, I know what struggles I had to do in order to get to this point. And I know it's not going to be easy to get to the next level either, but it's that motivation to keep going. Yeah. Um, lots of people talk about the idea that there may be another bubble bursting at a certain point in the next few years or more strife that is reminiscent of that sort of 2008 era. I want to channel that into a positive question, which is a bit of free advice for myself and everyone else. But if you had to give one piece of financial advice or credit advice to anyone out there, but particularly those of us working in the music industry, I guess if we start to look for one example at artist managers who are all entrepreneurs they all eat what they kill if you like to use that phraseology they have to be successful in order to keep the lights on what one piece of advice would you give financial or credit wise to those people the important lesson here is that there's always going to be something unforeseen you never know what's going to hit you and recessions happen every like what they say 6 to 8 years so they're going to happen 
We never know exactly what's going to cause it. We didn't know that real estate was going to be a bubble that burst. We didn't know before that that dot-coms were going to burst. This time, we didn't know that COVID was going to come along. But there's always going to be something. So you have to start preparing for that now. Not necessarily as like a doomsday sort of thing, but just think of how can I position myself so that if something unforeseen were to hit me, I'm prepared. And from a credit perspective, you should look at your personal credit. Is it as good as it can be? Is your business credit as good as it can be? You need to take out those lines of credit and get access to those things before you need them. And that's going to require optimal credit to do that. Then you have them when you need them. Because when do the banks not want to give you the money? When you need it. So that's a real key thing is you get all that stuff in a row, be ready, be prepared, and you'll be fine. It's the fixing the roof while the sun is shining. And I would, you're right. I hear that one a lot. Exactly. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. I love it, Tim. So last thing I want to ask you about, I sort of, I think it's only fair that I offer you the chance to plug another thing that you're up to called Social Forum or Social Numerical 4M, Social 4M. What is it? How's it growing? What are you up to? Because I've started to see this brand knock around. And uh, what's the ambition? Yeah, so this was a, a COVID thing that happened. I, basically, I was moderating a Zoom panel of business managers in the States. And we were trying to come up with four topics to discuss in an hour around like the future of business management. What are all the things that are facing? But every one of the topics were ones that were going to take at least an hour to discuss on their own. Like back then it was going back to the office, hybrid working. Other things were like how to talk to artists about financial responsibility or hiring with diversity in mind. Like all those things were super long. And then one of them, one of the panelists said, you know what? I wish that there was a forum to be able to discuss these types of issues and ways to help the industry as a whole, not just business managers, but talent managers, but like people that are in the industry. And we think that you should do it because you work with so many different business management firms. I thought about it and said, you know, I work with over 120 different firms in the States alone. And then we work with about 20 here in the UK. And I, I said, sure, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way. Like I see a huge issue in the industry being old white men primarily. But when you look down the ladder, you see that there are plenty of women and people of color. So my mission became, I'm going to put women and people of color at the forefront of this. I'm going to create it so that we have an opportunity to have our voices heard and represented and to shine a spotlight on people that provide services to artists and whatnot that are women and people of color. So we started that a little over two years ago and it's exploded. You know, I call Regal my day job and social forum is my unpaid internship, but it's really taken off. We now have over 600 members. We do events in LA, New York, Miami, London, and we're going to start Nashville next year as well. It's free to join. You just have to apply for membership and then we pick out basically who's going to make sense. It's free for business managers, talent managers, promoters, sports and entertainment lawyers. The rest can support us as a partner, we call it. And you can apply at socialforum.com and you'll see right at the top, apply for membership. And then they can come to lovely events like we had the other day here in London. From what I understand, of it was kind of built on a nexus of 
your contact list in, in business management, as you say, expanding out into talent management, um, attorneys, other areas of the industry. But from a kind of general perspective, business managers move the money around this this industry. So there are always interesting people to be near. You marry that up with the sort of valiant mission that you've pointed out in terms of furthering people of demographics that don't always get furthered, as we well know. I think it's a really interesting proposition. I'm really glad to hear that it's doing great guns. Anthony Davenport, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the MBW podcast, and I hope you will come back to speak to us soon. Always great to catch up with you, Tim. See you soon. Mm-hmm.